back to the stage of history. <laughs> well, threaten me with a good time. I won't lie to you, I'm getting a little excited. Today, you have been chosen to receive the most glorious of gifts. Wonderful! It's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. That it is, Edward. That it is indeed. Listen, sunshine! Live a little! I can't hardly contain my excitement. Our first wrestling guest on the Renegade Roundup. Is this the man in tights? He's going to catch a cold out there. Relax, Marge. Wrestling is the gift that keeps on giving. We should have a national holiday to celebrate. Careful, Junior. Don't want that gift horse to bite you. We aren't going to waste any more time. Let's get to it. And we are back with another riveting interview. Uh, I've been uh, going on a pretty good streak of uh, getting uh, guests on the show. And uh, this one is, you know, all the guests that I have had are great, but uh, this is a, uh, a wonderful personal accomplishment to me. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. Mystery guest at the table, who are you and what do you do? Hello. For the uninitiated, my name is Nick Radford, and I am the Poet Laureate of Professional Wrestling. For the first time on Renegade Roundup... We got one! We have our first pro wrestling guest on the show. Welcome, Nick. Welcome, Th Nick. Thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah, it's um, you know um, a lot. We we share a lot of the same uh, social circles. We know a lot of the same people. Uh, on the uh, previous episode of the podcast, um, I had uh, Knitted Fox, aka Sarah of Sunken Treasures, um, a, an esteemed uh, friend of yours and mine. Definitely. And so, uh, so it's just, you know, we we haven't sat down. I feel, I feel like we haven't sat down enough to kind of just, you know, shoot the breeze. And so I feel like, especially with things are starting to recover, uh, in, uh, the pandemic era. Um, but, uh, so, you know, things are starting to get back off the ground. Uh, Defy just, uh, not too long ago, completely sold out their two night show with their, uh, Leviathan lineup. So, um, without a cause also just, uh, completely sold out. With their main event, uh, Steve Miggs versus Dan Housen, which that's going to be a real barn burner. I'm really happy for everybody that's going to be able to go to that. Um, how do you feel with uh, pro wrestling coming back? 
You know, it's it's uh, a lot of emotions. I'm sure everyone involved has a lot of emotions. Um, for me specifically, it's all it's very it's excitement. It's a mixture of excitement and it's uh, sure also a lot of uh, anxiety, which is normal for my everyday life in general. Um, but yeah, uh, there's there's still a lot of uncertainty for everybody, and sure. there is it. There at least seems to be maybe a light at the end of the tunnel, and things are looking up. Um, that said, my anxiety brain definitely tells me that like things could always get worse. So I, I'm always, yep. I'm always worried about my safety and my friend's safety and the fan's safety. Everyone's safety is always my number one concern. So, um, personally, I, I'm not quite ready to start going back onto that public stage and being in that atmosphere. And I think that, I think everyone should definitely have that conversation with themselves about sure. whether they feel comfortable being in that that atmosphere right now or when they might feel feel comfortable being in that kind of atmosphere because I think it, everyone has different uh, different levels of anxiety, different levels mm-hmm. of comfort and so for me I think that I'll probably wait a bit longer um, probably into 2022 is where mm-hmm. when I see myself maybe uh, turning returning to the ring in front of an audience. But um, but I'm excited about it. I don't want to be like the Debbie Downer, but I think it's I think it's exciting. I'm excited sure. that people get to go see shows. I know it's a huge part of a lot of our lives, and so like not having that is so. It was it's a hole, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a hole in your heart. Um, so for me, even though I won't be able to be on live shows for a while, uh, even though I'm not ready, I'm still training, and I and I can't tell you how good just being able to train once a week has been for my mental health lately yes so it's overall net positive absolutely absolutely and i think you really hit the nail on the head with uh with it being uh, a hole that has been uh, taken from from all of us and you know it's uh I, th- I think it was really apparent especially in the early uh early months of the thunderdome broadcasting and what uh both uh wwe and AEW had to do in order to kind of keep that show rolling because the show must go on um and uh you know there were there was a lot of uh, creative boom that came out of that period but at the same time it there the fans are the lifeblood um of that and i think we uh, saw that very very adamantly um recently with the money in the bank return and just how how uh how the crowd just they added so much to it, and I might even argue during the Rhea Charlotte match that the fans almost decided the booking for them because yeah. Charlotte was not my favorite going into it, but she certainly won the crowd over, especially since the buildup was less than stellar, uh, in my opinion. But uh, mm-hmm. th- the crowd really made that arguably one of the matches of the night for me. Yeah, and I think that um, you mentioned like a lot of crea- creativity that came out of that era, and I think that it's really important to note that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. throughout history, we've seen a lot of examples of extreme hardships really giving birth to new creative endeavors or like uh, great works of art. Sure. And I think that I'm sure that the COVID era will be remembered for as one of those things. And, like, maybe not worldwide or globally as, like, thinking of, like, the um, last year's WrestleMania. Like, no, sure. a lot of people, but but allow me to collect my thoughts. Sure. Because um, the way things are working, the way things worked in COVID, 
Um, like people aren't going to remember all of these like little tiny things that happened all over the world of, of mm-hmm. how people endeavored to, to exist and cope with the, the pandemic. But uh, everyone has their own little story of, of being creative or consuming some content or like some form of human connection that we were able to obtain because uh, humanity itself had to like really step up in order to to um, survive throughout it. Even like mm-hmm. um, even if you're looking at the scope of not creatively, um, just looking at the increase in accessibility that we've we've seen. Um, I know in my my line of work, my my day job, I've seen a lot of more uh, accessibility that wasn't around, and it was such an easy thing, like such an easy thing to do. Like cha- allowing uh, Zoom, Zoom became like a such a massive tool for people. Yes. Um, to be able to connect, to be able to work from home, like all these accessibility options that weren't available that could have been available, and the pandemic showed us that they can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you definitely hit the nail on the head with uh, the uh, um, the Zoom calls, and uh, even kind of further extending from that, uh, Twitch streaming was at an all time high. Uh, during the pandemic, um, one of uh, one of my friends, uh, a comedian in the uh, the comedy circle out here, Lisa Wallen, she because she couldn't do uh, because she couldn't do stand up shows, she took up streaming, and uh, the Yakuza games really put her like in the limelight of being recognized, and uh, within within the year, she became an affiliate of Twitch um, out of necessity. So it's like. Yeah, you, uh, the, the last year, like this pandemic period, um, uh, you definitely hit on with, uh, not everybody's going to remember every single thing that happened, um, with the pandemic because, you know, when you're doing long-term booking, no one ever does. Um, but, um, I think, I think the things that uh, people will remember is how the landscape changed, no matter what industry that you are in, you know, it's, it was only because of the pandemic that we are now having, um, certain work related conversations like, you know, working from home is now a conversation piece that, that can be, you know, you have, you have for the first time that I can remember, you know, people standing up for what they believe in mass walkouts and severely underpaid fast food places. And, People are making their voices heard, and um, it's it's a shakeup unlike anything that I've ever seen. And I think that's the the long term benefits of that will certainly outweigh the short term strife that we are seeing in certain circles. I agree. I agree a lot. I, and uh, I especially think that I really, really, really hope that these things stick. Like I I know that it it seems likely right now that a lot of the working from home options and accessibility options will stick around but i've uh, knowing the history of of america and how how they tend to react towards people who who might be differently abled Mm -hmm. uh it it's entirely possible that that will not work out Uh, i can actually i can confirm that my uh, my current job is already migrating people that were working from home back into the office and there there is no leeway with with that decision they are not yeah. they're no longer given the option to do so they're returning yeah. the equipment that they borrowed from work that that is a shame mm-hmm. that's really sad to hear i hope that 
But also, like you mentioned, the mass walkouts and shining a light on a lot of things that a lot of uh, in inequities in the working environment for a lot of people, hopefully, will allow those changes to be made or yep. or lead us on a path to start making those kinds of changes permanent. Sure. Yeah, because we, you know, we had that glimmer of hope where service workers were hailed as essential workers and hailed as heroes. And now when now that we're starting to get a taste of normal, uh, sort of the status quo is starting to come back into play. Um, but uh, through that, you're still seeing you're still seeing um, the movement and even legislation in certain aspects that we never would have thought would have passed. Like the uh, the the thing that immediately comes to point is uh, is the uh, the right to repair movement that's currently happening. That that's that is a huge. That's going to be a huge turning point, and I don't know if you know the amount of if. The amount of people that it took to push that and to make that more known, uh, I don't think that would have happened if it wasn't for the mass lockdown where everybody had to use the things that they had and all of like all the aspects that are directly affected by that came to light. Why is it this way? It's always been that way. Why does it have to be this way? Such is so many of the issues that we deal with in America. Of it's always been this way, so this is how we're gonna keep it. Yep, yep. Uh, I think uh, I think anybody who has been paying attention has had at least one wake up call that they've had to be like, "Oh, this isn't right. I'm not okay with with where this is going." Like I've, I I know that um you know because you and I share a lot of the same peers within yeah. the wrestling circle I definitely had to uh check myself and have those difficult conversations and some of that has had to uh result in uh connections that I used to have no longer having and that's a really tough thing I know this is supposed to be like a, a podcast about things that we enjoy that make us happy but I do enjoy having this discussion with you yeah um, but yeah, that's a tough thing that I think a lot of people have had to do this year, in addition to all the other tough things that we've had to do over the past year and a half, or for some people even more so. But like, especially in the local wrestling scene and the wrestling scene at large, we've seen a lot of examples of um, people's masks being pulled off, for lack of a better term. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we've mm-hmm. had to, I know I've had to have a lot of tough conversations with myself about who I can still associate with and I, and I don't want to turn into like hot gossip like who's who's a terrible person. Oh, no, that's right. No, that's 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 what we try to shy away from cuz cuz of the reasons exactly that you mentioned, but yes, continue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I I think that's a tough conversation that any people with privilege have to have with themselves and I I'm fully aware that I am an extremely privileged individual being a straight cis white male. I understand mm-hmm. that I am the epitome of what privilege might be and I I try to utilize that for for others. I try to mm-hmm. and those are the ki- kind of tough conversations especially the past like couple years I've had to con- have with myself of like how can I use my privilege to try to help better things how to make things better mm-hmm. for people who might not be as privileged the people who are speaking out uh during the speaking out movement um the black voices that are that are crying out in pain yep the um asian american voices that are crying out in pain like all of these people who don't get to have who either 
don't have their voices heard or even when they do have their voices heard are very quickly silenced mm-hmm. um, or forgotten by the zeit- the cultural zeitgeist because it moves on to the next hot topic. Like those yes. are the kinds of things that I have had to try to, to, to reckon with because I mm-hmm. also, because of the privilege, I, I also play a role in those kind of uh, uh, inequities. And those are, that's something I have to try to rectify. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, no, a hundred percent. I I definitely uh, agree with that. I I'm definitely in that same boat. That like, even though, you know, the pre-pandemic me would have said, well, I'm you know I'm in low income just like everybody else. I don't feel that I'm benefiting from. But by having those conversations with people that like, you know, and and I I think when when it really came to a head around this time last year and a lot of uh, people that I um, follow and I respect uh, talked about their experiences in their day-to-day lives. I'm just like, okay, now I feel like a jerk because of, uh, you know, but, but again, it's literally, you don't know what you don't know. Um, it's, uh, I'd, I'd, I'm, I'm going to probably butcher the, uh, the, the way that was explained to me, but it's like, you know, um, to, to someone like you and I, a rose is just a rose. But for somebody else, you know, that rose can, uh, is not a part of their garden, effectively. Uh, because we, yeah, it's, it's because we, you know, we, it's, the way that we perceive day-to-day life is not reflective of society as a whole because of everything that has happened. And uh, to kind of put a, uh, to kind of put a pin on that, um, the, 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 I do appreciate that we are, uh, getting into this, especially since like my personal moniker for what I try to do for not just for this channel, but for my social media presence as a whole is to do no harm and to do what Toonami Tom told you and stay golden. Cause you know, it's like you can, you can, you can use influence for good. You can use it to, yeah. you know, as Brian Zane put it, like what you like and don't be a dick. But I think that goes on so many more levels because we, we are in such a, I, I think you and I as, um, as a social media content consumers, as well as creators, um, there does seem to be this uh, perpetual bubble that everything is bad all the time because people will go out of their way to be negative and nasty because give somebody the platform and anonymity of the internet, people tend to go crazy. Absolutely. So to be the change that you want to see, you first have to implement that. And like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you and I are in the same boat as um, mental health advocates. Mm-hmm, definitely. So, mm-hmm, so, um, so just, it's been, it's been kind of that reminder of like, um, you know, you heard it very early on about, um, uh, you know, being indifferent and complacency is just as uh, infuriating as, being adamantly against the thing um so so having to be like okay now that this has been brought to my attention now that and then taking that reality check of how many people have been affected by the way things are it it's really humbling when you kind of go through that process yeah yeah i um there's something that I latch onto, and it's this will be super nerdy. So hopefully, maybe this will take us in a lighter direction. But um, sure, sure. The thing that I that I latch onto, and I don't even remember because I read the Hobbit book when I was like very very little. But I I latch onto the the first Hobbit movie near the end, 
um, where all of the dwarves think that Bil- Bilbo just went home because he was so sick of, of being with them and just missed his home. Mm-hmm. And he goes on, Bilbo goes on like a big long speech about like, he's like, you're right. I do miss my home. I miss my bed. I miss my books. I miss my fireplace. Sure. Um, but you don't have a home to go to, and I want to help you get it back if I can. And that's to me, that's to me like using the tools and advantages and privileges that you have 100%. to help people. Like they, like the the home in that example could be anything. The home could be the home could be uh, equal pay. The home could be feeling safe sure uh when you're walking down the street alone at night like those are the kinds of things that i try i know that i have these things and i like i enjoy having them and so i want other people to be able to enjoy them too mm-hmm. right because because for, for me personally it's uh you know seeing a friend or a colleague succeed is you know it's it's a win for everybody involved exactly because you know the investment you put into it uh that segues perfectly into um uh, into uh, the wrestling circle as well, because uh, one one of the things that uh, I remember uh, Sarah and I talking about is the is the investment of getting to know um, wrestlers in the indie scene and seeing their career grow, and then when you have like a swerve getting called up to NXT, that's a that's a success for everybody. Exactly, yeah, and I think I think that that's really important um, to give the other side of that. Um, and obviously I haven't had like a ton of major successes, but being on that, on that, on this side of that kind of friendship, and I do consider them friendships, um, with like you and Sarah, like, and other fans in the area, like, sure. I, I genuinely, a, a lot of the times, like even like if I'm having a bad day or I'm, I'm struggling, like just having an interaction with, with someone on Twitter can change my whole day. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and so like. It feels amazing to have that kind of support. I can only imagine for a guy like Swerve, like I can only imagine how it feels to have had that support and then like be able to have that success for the people who have supported him. Sure, because you know it was because to my knowledge, he was the first Tacoma-based like major superstar. I mean, you have you have Ethan who has who's had his successes as well, and uh, American Guns have had their successes uh, to an extent. Um, you know, not not discrediting the success that they have had, but yeah. but to have a such a um, superstar brand recognition, where to this day, Swerve bills himself in NXT as from Tacoma, Washington. Yeah, and I think it's such a huge thing that he is still exactly the same person that we saw at Defy. Like he hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really cool. Like he hasn't, they haven't tried to change who he is. Like he's still presenting Swerve as Swerve. Yep, he's presenting Swerve as Swerve. It's that it's always been that character cranked up to eleven, but now we're just shifting into a gear that it's an intensified eleven going on twelve. Exactly. And I love, I love seeing uh, him being in sort of a mentorship role with Hit Row, where he can be simultaneously you know, franchise player for the team, but also building up, you know, the other heavies within the stable so that way they can, you know, progress forward. And I uh, I remember uh, hearing uh, not too long ago that uh, uh, a lot of their influence, a lot of Swerve's influence in WWE was he modeled uh, his 
presence after Big E. Like Big E was a huge influence on them. So to have to have the tutelage of you know say say uh, you know people will say what they want about the about the company itself, but the talent is arguably second to none with with the with the with the depth of uh, the depth of the roster, the skill set that everybody has. You know, Bobby Lashley being you know as uh, as uh, decorative of a uh, of a veteran in the ring as he is, being mentored by MVP. And I remember when MVP finally was able to get into a Defy show, and there was uh, there was a mentorship, basically being the first major guy to see uh, the potential that Swerve had. And I think that it's so cool. You talk about like the talent, how top tier the talent is, but like it's so cool to see the the performance center. Like they. I haven't obviously haven't been there, but like um, to see that the way the system works yes. um, from the outside, watching like someone go in and then like someone who's already very talented, like Swerve, um, go into the performance center and then like appear later on TV and like just see how like they just have it down to a science of like mm-hmm. this is wrestling this is how you do wrestling so like so they take someone who's already talented and then just lift them up to that next level it's so cool to see and i've i have said time and time again that the the biggest detriment to the WWE programming is everything outside of the flagship shows on television is far more interesting and rounds out the the character dynamic far more than anything that can be on TV because you know it it wasn't until like you watch the day of pay-per-views and you get a different perspective of Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley you look at the WWE chronicle of Bianca Belair and you find out that you know she's gone through a lot of trials and tribulation yes she was a star athlete but she also was um fighting uh her battles with bulimia mm-hmm. and i and i wish that there was more of those real life extensions rather than the, the 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 cookie cutter caricature that makes for the marketing machine that is WWE. Yeah, it's so tough. I, I can only imagine how hard it is when you have so many like uh, cooks in the kitchen of, of like advertisers and TV networks and all that jazz. And rotating cooks as well as many of the screenwriters that just leave. Yeah, exactly. Like, I can only imagine how difficult it is. Plus then, and this I can actually say from experience, like, being there at, when they're doing TV for Raw, like, being there and seeing how, again, it's it's a machine. It is. Like, they, they have it down to an art, but I, there's so many moving parts and so many different pieces, and, like, mm-hmm. these two guys are having a match, and this is their agent, and they have to, like, talk to, they have to plan their match, talk to the agent, the agent has to t- take it to the person who's in charge of that segment, et cetera, et cetera. There's just so many moving parts. Yes. It is, it's, it's, uh, it's wild to see. It really is. Right, and it's, and it's so easy to, to knock on a product without having, like, an alternative answer for it you know because it's like you know if if it was if it was so easy everybody would do it so if you have a better opinion why not run a show yourself and thankfully in our local scene you know we you know with uh, especially with uh so we have all our massive call-ups you know a lot of defy talent going to um aew new japan ring of honor um and uh, just just all over, um, you know, Chris Bay doing amazing things for uh, for Impact, and just a lot of uh, star-studded names as well. But now you are, we are also getting to the point where there are more 
upcoming rising promotions. Like um, we just had, uh, I think last month where um, uh, uh, Kendall Juice Girl had uh, had a show out of Auburn. That's right. Not too long ago. Yeah. And then uh, and then now uh, Relentless out of Eastern Washington. Um, we have. Uh, uh, we have uh, Scuttlebutt Brewery is getting into the wrestling thing. I've heard of this. Yes. Um, so uh, it's, it's so it's it's so cool to see that there is a rising interest in uh, the Pacific Northwest area uh, for wrestling, and I'm, I'm sure plenty of other promotions popping up in Vancouver and Portland uh, and all of that. So. How long have you been in the wrestling circle, and have you seen a level of growth like we are seeing today? It's it's really interesting. I've been thinking about this today, uh, actually. It's really interesting to see. I've been in wrestling since September of 2013. Yes, uh, that's when I started training. Okay. And then um, I think I made my in-ring debut um, for DOA down in Portland um, the following January in a battle royal. Um, so that's like coming up on uh, eight years. <laughs> so, um, and when I started, it was a vastly different world. Like mm-hmm. it's it's wild to think in less than a decade how much of an explosive growth you, we've seen in the Pacific Northwest. Like um, when I when I was first starting out, I remember it was a big deal when my trainers took me up to ECCW um, to just like be ring crew. Like it was exciting to go to Vancouver. For sure. But that's like a, a five hour drive. And that was the next nearest wrestling promotion. Mm-hmm. So it was like DOA in Portland, ECCW in Vancouver. And there was like nothing in between. Right. And then um, I remember a period of my earlier career where I would do where I would go up to Vancouver and then back down to Portland and then down to Chico, California, just like and that's another five hour drive. So it would be like Friday night up to Vancouver, stay the night or drive the drive down the next or the same night. Oh, geez. Stop in Portland, get like two hours of sleep and then continue on to Chico, California. A literal road warrior. Yeah, yeah, that was like a whole weekend is was doing that kind of stuff and it was mm-hmm. it was a lot. I uh I was in my early 20s when I was doing that and sleeping like a couple hours a night every night. So like I could and drinking a ton of energy drinks, so I could do that. I could not do that now. No. <laughs> and anyone who 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 would has my respect cuz that is a lot. Um mm-hmm. but that the, the the cool thing about all this growth and all these promotions is that you don't have to do that anymore. Right. It's not a five hour drive to the next place. It's like a couple hours and there's another wrestling show. Mm-hmm. That's, that's so exciting. And so like, oh, it's so relieving as, as, it, yes. as a wrestler, it's so relieving that for me to know, not just like if I want to be on a wrestling show, I only have to do a couple hour drive. It's relieving for me to know that if I were, like, going back to me as, like, a 10-year-old wanting to watch, see a wrestling show, I wouldn't have to, like, I, I could have something nearby. Mm-hmm. When, I was, when I was into wrestling, I wasn't 10 when I got into wrestling. I was, like, 14 or something. But, um, but like, I didn't know how to watch wrestling. I didn't know local wrestling existed because yep. I, grew, I grew up in eastern Oregon, middle of nowhere. 
Um, and then like the next closest place I could go to see wrestling was Boise, Idaho, mm-hmm. which I did. I went to go see WWE whenever they came to town. But like I had no idea that local wrestling existed mm-hmm. until until I graduated college. Essentially, I remember when I when I was in college, I saw an ad on like local TV for Portland Wrestling Uncut, which was a very short lived um, revival of Portland wrestling with Roddy Piper attached, and a lot of oh wow, um, yeah, right. And it was really exciting, and I was like, that's where I need to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made plans to move to Portland afterwards. I was going to school in Southern Oregon and I, I made the plans and everything. And by the time I moved to Portland, it was done. They won't, didn't exist anymore. It was done. Um, so, so then I, I started looking, well, I was like, well, obviously if there, if this promotion existed, there must be others. And that's how I found DOA and started training at DOA. It's cool. And luckily, luckily for me, a lot of the people who were working for Uncut worked for DOA. So okay. that's kind of how I got my start. But yeah, like it was, it was very few and far between to find wrestling in the Pacific Northwest when I started. Absolutely. And to kind of just further build on that, like, you know, my, again, my first exposure was, uh, was, uh, uh, like post, it was, it was the post, uh, Alliance to end the Alliance, uh, getting into wrestling. So I got into wrestling like re- right in the Bischoff era. And through and through that, you know, discovered uh, after using my parents' black box to watch WrestleMania 18, uh, <laughs> that's when uh, they had the promotion for WrestleMania 19 coming to Seattle. Uh, and then when I was going to uh, uh, TCC for Fresh Start, uh, got uh, got to know a couple of people that were into wrestling. And uh, you have the the internet now was certainly not what it was back then uh so you <laughs> so sure. you d- you had to rely on those friends who read the dirt sheets in air quotes yep and uh they they were they were wrong most of the time but you know you didn't have you didn't have enough information you just you just went yeah sure okay he reads the dirt sheets yeah no that's and then um you know you mentioned about you know the the promotions and how the scene isn't or wasn't the way that it was you know back then mm-hmm. when i was very first looking into getting to pro wrestling because my dad is uh my dad is very uh old school he's a retired fire lieutenant um originally from uh originally from uh eastern washington uh right on the edge of the bible belt his dad was a fire chief so it was kind of like really ingrained into him he made lieutenant twice once as an unpaid intern and once going through uh, the actual ranks, and then he had to retire from disability because of a motorcycle accident. So very, very stern, very conservative upbringing where I had to prove to him with a weight bench and a set of weights that I wanted to go into wrestling school. Wow. So that didn't necessarily pan out there, and especially around that time, like we're talking like closer to 2007, 2009, the only gig that I saw in town was uh, ICW, out of Eastern Washington, and that was and that was uh, I found out later a short-lived promotion ran by the Honky Tonk Man, who I I I always saw um, Honky Tonk Man regularly went to uh, Northwest Sports Cards to do autograph sessions, but part of that was to promote his promotion, and I remember like looking at the roster and their champion was literally a chef character. <laughs> That's wild. I'd never heard any of that before. Wow. So, yeah, it was, and again, like, a decade has passed, and uh, 
literally Max, uh, who is now promoter and runner of uh, Without a Cause, I met him when he was working security at Defy, uh, and we met through a Seattle YouTube group. And uh, truth be told, um, at the time I was uh, working at Dorky's Arcade, and the owner is a good friend of Matt Farmer's, oh. and uh, I had I had I had fear of missing. I had a real bad FOMO. When uh, Defy 3 came around, it's like, oh, they got to watch John Morrison's movie? That looks fun. Okay. And then and then uh, Matt comes in with a, with a poster, and he's like, yeah, hey, you should totally go to the show. And then uh, Max was trying to convince – well, before that, Max was trying to convince me, and I'm like, yeah, I'll think about it. And then, you know, no such thing as coincidence. You have, you know, everything happening. And then, you know, my – my first indie show ever was uh, the two night Defy Four and Five event, oh, nice. where the main event was uh, Swer uh, was uh, I'm sorry Cody Rhodes versus Matt Cross. It was originally billed to be uh, Pentagon, which I still have the poster that we put up at Dorky's. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, and you know, as the rest, as they say, is history. And um, there, there's there's something there's something magical about a about an independent wrestling show that is so hard to replicate and the closest that I'm able to to communicate to people is the same way that people feel about rock concerts is the same way I feel about pro wrestling shows. I totally get that and I think the two are very comparable. Like I like if you take out the the form of entertainment whatever it may be, it's the exact same experience where you are going to a live uh, live interactive experience mm-hmm. to watch real life people perform something with such that takes such incredible talent. Yes. I think that's the biggest thing and and, and for especially musicians like uh, they t- it takes such incredible talent for them to perform. Like they also have to be in peak physical condition mm-hmm. to perform for like hours at a time, just yelling and well singing, but yelling very loudly, mm-hmm. um, and running around the stage. Like it's credit where credits due. Like rock concerts rule. They do. Yeah, but yeah, there it's a very similar experience. Mm-hmm. And and you know me being the the, the drama nerd, uh, that it just kind of came full circle. Um, that the first character that I ever gravitated towards in WWE programming was Goldust, and the first person that I ever saw at a independent wrestling show was Cody. Oh wow, so, that's interesting. So it kind of just came full circle uh, with that, and. Uh, you know, truth be told, uh, if uh, finances were in a better uh, place right now, I would be uh, signing up for the Nightmare Academy right now because I think that they, I think they have a lot of, they have a lot of good um, credentials in there, and especially you know, again, me being you know a tall, lanky ginger giant that I am, who better to learn the craft of walking around like a big man than Dustin? Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that they're doing incredible things there. I love seeing the kind of stuff that they do. For sure. Um, so you you mentioned like you mentioned briefly in your introduction about your poet character. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that sort of came to be and how that evolved into uh, the entity that you are today. Yeah, uh, I guess to extrapolate a little further, since I only did the the brief introduction, mm-hmm. um, a further. To re- further explain the character, mm-hmm. um, 
I write erotic or romantic fanfiction poetry, and I read it to the person it is about generally, which is usually my opponent, and I and the crowd at large. And usually my opponents don't appreciate it as much as the fans do. Sure. Um, and that's kind of a thing. It's it's an interesting evolution to track. Um, to take it all the way back, I'll just show you. I'll just explain the evolution of the Nick Radford in wrestling character. Sure. Um, so when I debuted at DOA, I all I wanted in the whole world was to just be the video game guy. I was like, I'm gonna have like all these cool references and my and I came out to the touch by Stan Bush. Like I was gonna be, <laughs> I was gonna be the nerd guy, and I and clearly T.J. Perkins before T.J. Perkins. Absolutely. Well, and even like looking like at Xavier Woods, like he's yeah. just living my dream. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> like everything that he does, he's like that's what I wanted to do. Yes. Um, but kudos for him. Good for him. He worked his butt off to get there. He does for sure. Um, but yeah, like I wanted to be the video game guy because at the time nobody was doing that, and, mm-hmm. and so luckily it didn't work out for me because now everyone is doing it. Yep. Um. So I, I tried to be the video game guy. I tried to be, like, fun and energetic and, like, high energy, but that's just not who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm much more of, like, a low-key kind of guy, I think, um, which which rolled into me being more of a heel uh, character generally. I'm more – and also, I'm not, like, super athletically gifted, and I'm kind of, like, low-key, so, like, I – it just fits better for me to wrestle a slower pace. Sure. For me to deliver um, – for me to talk slower and make my point better with lots of enunciation, you know, the kind of thing. Yeah, the, the you're Jake the Snake or you're Paul Heyman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So from there, I kind of transitioned into a general hipster character, like a vague idea of what a hipster character was. Sure. Um, so like... With the plaid and the scarf and the glasses and the coffee mug and like all all the 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 things that make a hipster sure and that that eventually slowly starts so it's like nerd into hipster that's a logical progression and then the the hipster kind of turned into more of a back into a a nerd but more of a a book nerd mm-hmm. and so I became like. Um, because this is actually a real part of who I am. A, a big thing that I, I get teased for at, at practice and stuff will be like, I have a notebook always. Sure. And if I like, if I don't, if I don't write stuff down, I just forget it. So I always try to like write, if I have an idea, I like write it down. Like I always have like a big leather bound book in my, in my bag, just in case I need to write ideas down. Uh, and so I would get teased for that at training, Lighthearted, you know, not mean-spirited. Of course. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But then it came up of, like, why don't you just do that on shows? Like, why don't you just bring your book to the ring and be that guy? And I was like, that's a good idea. (laughs) Um, So I started bringing the book, and it originally was more like a, oh, I'm a scholar kind of thing. Like, super, like, scholarly. Like, I would cite, like random passages or i would be like that's not in the rule book i'm aware of it because i've read the whole wrestling rule book kind of thing very intellectual of the masses exactly Mm -hmm. um and so that was fun but i knew it wasn't original like that's not an original concept as you just pointed out like there's a lots of people have done it so i was like i need to i like this but let's tweak it like what can i do to make it different right the the poetry thing actually came out of Another running gag, 
where um, the Cooks, uh, Kevin and Brian mm-hmm. Cook, mm-hmm. the Cook brothers, um, I train with them on, on a regular basis, and they, they're brothers, so they fight like brothers. They mm-hmm. fight, and they fight, and they fight, and it it's so goofy, and and eventually I just was like, come on, guys, just kiss and get it over with. Like I'm, the, the sexual tension is just palpable because they're, they would just fight so much. And like, I was like, just get all the frustration out. Like I can tell that you're all, you're both sexually frustrated or something. Just get it all out there. And so that, that's what started the gag of like, I want the cooks to kiss. And then, and then it just kept like it, it kept building the joke. I would be like, "All right, kiss, kiss, guys, just kiss." <laughs> like I would always be pressuring them to kiss. And then it be, it, it evolved from more from less of like a, um, "You guys should kiss and get it over with." To me being like, "Kiss, please kiss. I, I want you to kiss. I need I need you to kiss for me." Get get um, two little cook dolls and just make them kiss. Exactly, exactly. And then, like, if we had a match or something, I would, like, be trying to, like, force them together so they would kiss. Like, those kind of things. <laughs> um, and then I was like, I... The the logical progression of this gag is that I write a fanfic about them. Beautiful. I, I need to write a fanfiction about them kissing. And so I did it, and this was like this was never intended to be a wrestling character thing. It was just like a funny thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did it, and I posted it, and it blew up, and people loved it, and I got a lot of really positive feedback for it. And I was like, "There's something here. I have something." There's something there. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's the exact same thing with uh, in the FGC. A lot of uh, a lot of community members in the FGC they don't pick their name. It's usually a community chosen thing. So the so another. Another that, parallel, that makes sense. because um, I know that uh, you know Kenny Omega and Xavier Woods kind of make that a bit more apparent. But the more you sort of dive into it, uh, FGC and uh, pro wrestling are not too uncommon. Uh, mm-hmm. To this day, I, I still need to get down to uh, Community Event Orlando for a Fighter Fest because I think that'd be a good time for sure. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. so yeah, like, and I had done. Um, some writing bits in the past that people always give gave me like uh kudos for i I wrote another thing um a couple years ago doa did a show called like back to school or something and it was a charity show where the money went to buying uh to uh buying school supplies for children going back to school oh that's cool yeah it was awesome but the poster is like um, a school with a with a school bus, and then there's like the Cook Bros and and Drexel mm-hmm. looking all devilly, and then um, one of one of the police officers, I believe, Officer Dean Cooper. Dean Cooper, yep. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's like the poster, and it just it just looked like a movie poster, like a like a really bad kids movie, like um, the Chaperone. It reminded me of the Chaperone. Yes. <laughs> And I was like, there's there's a movie here. And so I wrote like a little blurb about like this summer. Just have Hunter come up be like, can you kids keep it down? <laughs> so I wrote like a little blurb about like this summer, the cook bros are going back to school. But little do they know, the devil Drexel is is gonna be their bo- something to that effect, and then like sure, sure, and they would have to like escape from the police, like it, like very like live action kids movie, super lame, goofy mm-hmm. stuff. I just mm-hmm. I could just imagine like one of the scenes in the trailer is like 
Um, Kevin like opens opens a closet door and Brian's in there and looks at him meekly and goes like um meow or something like from the <laughs> Sonic trailer and then it plays like goofy mu- like super like goofy poppy music like All Star or something like super goofy stuff. You're just describing blank check. <laughs> See, you get it. You get it. I do. I do. I grew up in that. I know. <laughs> but yeah, so I I did I did another thing like that, and it it got rave reviews, and I was like, this is what I this is what I should latch on to. There you no go. One, no one's writing fan fiction in wrestling. No. So uh, so that's that's how we got to the 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 fan fiction stuff. That's the roller coaster of just going through the evolution of the character is so is so fascinating especially since um i, I know that uh, you and a few of the wrestlers know that i've i've been eyeing you know getting back into uh ring shape and uh doing some uh, some serious ring training as well and so like sort of get, sort of getting that perspective of the evolution of a character really helps because you know, it's 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 really easy to kind of get trapped in your own head on like, okay, how far into like '80s Tron synthwave character do I want to go? Or there are some days where I'm like, I wonder how how like super villain Bison with the presence of Perfect Cell do I want to go? So it's it's that there's there's that sort of conflict that goes in there, and I only have you know the writers in my head to to talk those ideas to until I actually you know put the work in for right now. But it but it's really fascinating to to just to just hear that, and that the answer just seems to be just let it ride out naturally and go with the flow of it. Yeah, I um I think I heard CM Punk or like CM Punk is quoted with saying like you're never going to do what you expect to do when you get into wrestling school mm-hmm. cuz like everyone has an idea of what they want to do when they get into wrestling and it's very rarely that you end up doing that. Like it, yep. it's it's totally a logical progression like sure. you can never know how your character will evolve and that's something that I think about constantly being having a background in theater um, I constantly think about like, well, why is my character doing this? Or like, mm-hmm. why why is this thing happening? Or what's important to my character? If we really want to get meta and like break down, like I think about who the Poet Laureate is so frequently. I think about like, um, and I, I've explained it, I think in the past before where like, I believe, I think of the Poet Laureate as he thinks that he is the smartest man in the room. He believes that he is the smartest man in the room, but he is actually kind of an idiot. He is talented enough to like write this poetry and command the presence, and I think that's what, what draws people in, mm-hmm. is that like the poetry is fun, and it's a good time, and it's different than, than what we usually see in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, but if things don't go his way... He, he loses it. Like yep. He comes in with a plan and thinks that he knows everything, but as soon as something like goes awry or doesn't work out, he loses his cool. Mm-hmm. And that's when you see like the the heel poet laureate come out because that's when he's like, well, I got to do something. And so then things get serious. It's the it's the Phoenix Wright defendant to reveal. Yes. When you, yes. And uh, and yeah, just the more you're talking about the character, the more I'm like, that's Damien Sandow. That's Peter Avalon. That's yeah. That's Leva Bates, the librarian. Yeah, it's a it's a very uh, stereotypical character. Like, it, well, not stereotype, but but it's a character that a lot of people have done, and is it's a thing that recurs in wrestling, and, and so it's relatable. Just, yeah, and so this is just my little twist on it. 
Sure, sure. You know, because there's no, there's no original ideas you can just improve off of it and put your own spin onto it. Exactly. You know, so, um, so you mentioned a, a bit about uh, being into drama. Uh, what were some of, your, uh, some of your roles within the uh, drama circle? Well, that's funny, because I mentioned The Hobbit at the beginning, I was actually Gandalf in The Hobbit. Oh, that's cool. Um, in my sophomore, no, I think it was my junior year in high school, mm-hmm. um, we got a new drama teacher. Like we, My high school had a drama teacher for, for decades and decades, and she was this really cool lady, and she retired. And we hired this new guy, um, who's still trying to get his footing, um, and he definitely like wanted to be like the cool teacher, so mm-hmm. which, which is funny in like a drama tech context because he would play Dungeons and Dragons with the students and stuff. Sure. Um, and so like to 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 get people to like him and to be like the cool drama teacher, he's like, we're gonna do The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. And so we did The Hobbit, and I was Gandalf, and I had a blast playing Gandalf. That's so cool. And I, I um somebody recorded me on like their razor flip phone doing like <laughs> getting down to like um who let the dogs out or something like oh that's so, funny yeah i wish i i wish the video still existed because it was good but um mm-hmm. uh what else did i do that's the biggest one that really sticks out for me i know i did a few productions but that's the like my biggest like i'm so proud of that that's that's your magnum opus is is Absolutely. the per- particular performance i had uh just just so we're uh uh, sharing experiences here. I had uh, in my freshman year, I was involved in drama club, and I was in, involved in two specific plays. I was in the best Christmas pageant ever, and because this was two thousand, and uh, it was the popular thing at the time, there was a original production called "Who's Dying to Be a Millionaire," which was oh, a tra- wow. which was a traveling murder mystery, and uh, wow. the. And so I was billed as an announcer for in this in this faux millionaire show. And now here's your host, Reginald Smarmy. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, I got a suit specifically to be the uh, the announcer portion. And the thing that I will always remember is so the the, the plot in that um, is traveling show comes in and uh, the sheriff is murdered. Mm-hmm. And the prime suspect is the deputy. Interesting. So, at the as as you are familiar with uh, stage production, uh, there's for us we had a series of songs that were playing on the radio, and and for us, the cue to get ready for Act Two was the song "I Shot the Sheriff, but I Did Not <laughs> Shoot the Deputy." That's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, and then uh, and then basically, I I ran up to the uh, to the main microphone booth and the other thing that i did was uh goodness i'm forgetting the name of the guy but uh, and now you know the rest of the story oh i think that's is that walter cronkite i feel like that's walter cronkite it's it might be um <laughs> good day but uh yeah it basically i i had uh because they needed somebody to to fill that particular voice and i was the only one that applied so i did so the the after the intermission going into act two i ran up and did a the recapping the story so far portion of the script with that voice um so i did that and then uh for the best christmas pageant ever i was one of the the ruffian kids that particular performance was not as memorable except for one thing one of the other uh kids who was uh 
one of the fellow ruffians, uh, because of uh, the way the, the stage was spaced out, they had us like close to, so for the, for the reenactment of the nativity scene in that part of the play, we ended up being like in the middle portion of it. And then like the, um, the nativity scene was at the very end. And on night one, I, I hear from, from the side, one of my friends say, push the ham. What? It'll be funny. Push the ham. So night one, not practiced otherwise, I push the ham. It moves like a hockey puck across, like, almost dead center perfect in front of the baby Jesus. <laughs> Bless Miss Kurz's heart. We we had she had a stern talking. She's like we're we're supposed to we're supposed to we're supposed to do it as it is. I like that. Do it again. Awesome. So yeah. Uh, also found out many many years later that my drama teacher Miss Patricia Kurz ended up being a Magic the Gathering judge in the area for many years. Wild. So I ran into her in uh, one of the uh, old shops, uh, Comic Book Inc., that is no longer around. And uh, yeah, apparently, right when I left, uh, she started doing a Magic the Gathering Club after school, along with the drama. So That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Honestly, to me, that's cooler than my drama teacher playing D&D with us, because I was so much more into Magic. I would have I been stoked to play Magic after school with the teacher. So, you'd like listening to podcasts, do you? They are splendiferous. But have you thought about making your own? It's never been easier to throw your two pennies into the well and go on a ballyhoo on what is really bringing your craw. Anchor.fm makes it easy for even a first-time record tuner to build a podcast that is your own, then distribute your voice to the most popular of radio broadcast machines, including the Google and Spotify, with metrics and monetization tools to help your ship take sail. Only a complete buffoon wouldn't take advantage of the airwaves with the tools of the trade, powered by Anchor.fm. So show your best like a proper chap, and find out more on Anchor.fm today. Jolly Good is a royalty-free ditty powered by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more on SilvermanSound.com. Now let's get back to your regularly scheduled program. When did you start getting into magic? Um, it must have been like 2007 or 2008-ish. It was around... Okay, so, so that would have been um, Ravnica or Lorwyn, yes? Um, or was it after that? I think it was right before Ravnica. I think Ravnica was big when I got on the tourney. I got I started playing in tournaments um, when I was in college, so so probably like two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Okay. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when Ravnica came out because those are the cards that I remember the most because those are the ones that I was paying attention to. So, so two thousand so two thousand nine, two thousand ten would have been Return to Ravnica. Really? Oh, maybe I'm getting my timeline off. The only reason that I remember it is because um, the people from Comic Book Inc. eventually be, ran a place called Nerdy Stuffs. Is eventually going in. Uh, uh, I I came in because uh, I was in it for the longest time. Like my my peak time. Like I got into it a little bit during Urza's Saga way back mm-hmm. way back when uh, Proctor's was originally on Proctor, and uh, and then uh, you know my parents being the way that they are had to sell them because 
you know, the devil, all that stuff. Right. But when I got into college, I was able to, you know, get into that. And uh, everybody um, that I was in was either playing uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! or Magic. I ended up playing both. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, Mirrodin going into Kamigawa. I personally love Kamigawa, even though a, a lot of people look at that as sort of like the black sheep of the set because it slowed down things in comparison yeah. to the sets that came before and after. But I... That, that for me is just was my favorite set. Um, I think it was just the, the way that they did uh, the story and um, the legend rule actually made sense at that time. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, just, just looking into the way that it is now, and I talked a little bit about it um, with a, a guest a few weeks ago, that the game has changed so much uh, that I sort of uh, uh, attribute it as the Oprah rule. Where you get an achroma, you get an achroma, everybody gets an achroma. Yes. Yes. And it's it, mm-hmm. um now that you mention it, uh Mirrodin was the first deck I ever had. I had I had a Mirrodin um sacrifice deck where you would sacrifice artifacts and do damage, mm-hmm. and I built that into having like eventually I built it into having um an unlimited combo, like an infinite combo of just like nice. sacrifice, deal damage, create another artifact, sacrifice, deal damage, create another artifact with mm-hmm. like a mur or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I I love the artifacts in there. Um, Platinum Angel was one of my favorites in there. Obviously, your yes. Dark Steel Colossus and uh, all the other uh, fun things in there. Um, the one artifact that I really loved from Kamigawa that if it was just worded slightly different would be amazing and that's kasari gama kasari gama was a artifact equip where it, it gives plus one plus zero and when the equipped creature deals combat damage that successfully lands to a blocking creature it deals that much damage to all creatures the opponent controls Whoa. but the way that it's worded it can only be done by combat damage in the combat phase, so you couldn't um, you you couldn't use an ability to trigger the damage and ping everybody. It was like it was this close to being brilliant, and I'm still bitter about that. That's fair, yeah. I but I also see I can also see why they wouldn't want to do it because that could be very easily broken, right? Like super broken. I mean, there's a reason that that card was never more than a like a five dollar rare at that point. Yeah. And especially after uh, Mirrodin, I feel like they were really hesitant to like, cause Mirrodin was super broken. Yes. Uh, which is how I was able to make that deck. But like, so I assume I would assume that they were like really, really hesitant to make overpowered cards. Um, during that period. Yeah. Mirrodin going into Kamigawa was the dawn of what would be known as the modern era because, yeah. because, uh, everything before there with, my old college friend actually, you know, we, we would have themed decks. And so mm-hmm. he, his goal was to make a deck with all legendary things. <laughs> and so we're talking, you know, the, well, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as it was came to known, was uh, uh, Chroma Angel Wrath, Silvos Rogue Elemental, Jareth Lionel Titan, wow. Kamal Fist of Croja. You then, you then also have uh, Captain Sisse. Predator flagship, Hannah Ship's Navigator. Um, we effectively called it Andre because once it got going, you could not stop it. Yeah, that seems about right. 
And the only deck that was able to go toe-to-toe with it was uh, my Batista, which I basically just mashed Orochi and Yamabushi decks. Nice. That's awesome. Fun, fun times back when Magic was fun and not blue deck wins. Oh, for real, though, especially on the tournament scene in, like, 2009, 2010, like, Mm -hmm. it was, like, everyone had Jace. Everyone had had Jace the Mind Sculptor or whatever, and they would, even if their deck didn't have blue, they would splash blue just so they could Just for that, Mm mm-hmm. It was wild. Too much. I remember when uh, when uh, there was promotion for a vintage tournament, and uh, the store owner said, okay, we need to be very clear your, you know, if your favorite fairy folk deck can't win by turn two, don't bother coming. Wow. And I, and I saw that firsthand where, like, because it's blue is really good about interrupting turns and taking turns on their own in place of other people's turns. And it's like, Jeez. oh, here's here's a card that can allow me to take another turn, naturally. Yeah. Oh, here's one that will give me two turns. After that, I'm going to search through everything, play the things that I want. Yep. And that's why, like, the, the modern structuring of Magic nowadays, where people don't have to worry about the meta deck. So, like, yep. how, how it used to be is, like, you basically had to either build the top strategy or build a counter strategy to the top strategy. And now you don't have to worry about that because everybody has their own different planes because it used to be you are a planeswalker. Everybody is sharing the same planes. Now it's, uh, you know, this is all my stuff and I don't care about what you're doing because it's just a race of who's going to get their win condition off first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, that's why that's pretty much why I stopped playing in tournaments mostly. And then um, uh, originally I just swapped to doing drafts because at least that's more of a level playing field. Yep. Um, and then eventually just kind of like dropped out of magic because uh, it was just too much money and too much investment. And like it's it's if you just didn't you had to have Jace or whatever the hot card was. And if you didn't buy a playset of them. Yep. You lost. Yeah, and, and the, it, back then it used to be if you didn't buy the fat pack that had the spoilers for all of the cards that were set to come out and you didn't strategize on what the top tier deck would be before the set even came out, and if you're not pulling the money cards from the booster packs that will pay off for an entire booster box, thanks for coming. Yeah, exactly. So it just wasn't worth it. Yeah, so for me, it's uh, between everything that I did with uh, the GOAT format of Yu-Gi-Oh, um, getting, into, getting in and out of Magic twice, uh, getting into Kaijudo, Force of Will, and even for a hot second attempting to get into Pokemon because the, wow. the starter decks for Charizard and Blastoise that were like a couple of years ago were amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I actually... Um... Just this year, I, I learned to play the Pokemon card game. Like, I collected them when I was a kid. And then in college, my roommate taught me how to play because I never played. I just like collecting them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this year, I started playing again just because I was like super into like collecting again. And I, I've been doing like Instagram lives where I open packs and stuff. And I was like, well, I have all these cards. I might as well build decks. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm into playing that again. And And the meta is so intimidating yeah with with getting into it 
especially because I have all those old cards, and obviously now all of the cards are like way more powerful. Because like back then they had like forty HP and did ten damage, and now everything has like a hundred HP. Yep, at least. Yeah, and it's like uh, if it's uh, you know you know you're in trouble if it's a if it's a full art card with no color. Yes, exactly. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, games games are meant to be fun, and that's why, like, you know, I, I I had to step away from the competitive fighting game community scene. Not only because both, again, we talk about parallels between wrestling and FGC. Both of them arguably had their speak out movements at around the same time, and wrestling has handled theirs better. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, but but because of everything with that, and just like the focus of, you know, if you're not hitting buttons good and oh you're just a bronze rank or you're just a silver rate well then your opinion doesn't matter and i'm just like okay i'm going to take my ball in your competitive court and i'm going to play in the fun court because exactly yeah because life is too short to play crappy games and if you're not having fun with games just play something else especially since we are in a market where there are more choices for fighting games than there ever have been. There's more chances to teach the accessibility of fighting games than there ever has been. Yeah. Yeah, we live in such a world where, like, we we're, um, we have so much excess in everything. Yes. But, like, we have so much excess in, in content and, and games and, ever, like, things to enjoy. There's not e- there's no point in wasting time doing something that you don't enjoy because there's so many out there, so there's so many things out there that you could be enjoying. So, mm-hmm. like, why waste time not enjoying something? It's like, as, as much as I wanted to have fun with Street Fighter V, if I'm forcing myself to compromise to play the game and try to enjoy it and try to learn the game and I'm not having fun with it... Why Why bother putting myself through the struggle? That's why I switched to Tekken 7. Totally. Tekken 7 is so fun. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even really get into Tekken until Tag 2. Because all the games before it just felt clunky. And I've, I've, I've apparently heard from uh, a lot of people that, uh, well, so I used to, I used to frequent a circle uh, many moons ago, there used to be, a, I don't know if it's still around now, there used to be, a, it's an Xbox LAN place called Play Live. And the people that I spoke to over there, uh, they, uh, not sponsored by the way, uh, the, the, the people that, uh, that I was frequenting over there, they said that for a lot of people getting into fighting games, it's usually you either know how to play Street Fighter or you know how to play Tekken. You never usually see somebody that knows both because they are... When it comes to the inputs, they are fundamentally completely different games. That makes sense. Interesting. Because it requires a completely different set of muscle memory. Right. Wow. I honestly don't know very much about fighting games except for, like, Smash. Um, I've played some Mortal Kombat, but I've never been, like, good enough to, to do anything, like, substantial. Like, never play in a tournament. Sure. Um, I'm more, much more of a button masher. The tournament scene is something else. Like the things that people come up with and the dedication for labbing out, trying to get those combos. Uh, cause it's, it's not, cause like I'm more of like a situational awareness player. Like, okay, if you're going to jump at me, I know to do a show where you can, but like there are people that will lab. Okay. Once I touch you, you're dead. 
because they're able to they're able to link and confirm and know because right. you know we you know the last in the last 10 years the most popular game has been Marvel vs. Capcom 3 that's still a draw to this day and a lot of people try to emulate uh, that speed and that combo efficiency to the point where uh, prominent FGC scene people from Mar- Marvel's Capcom 3 were hands-on consultants and developers for Power Rangers Battle for the Grid. Whoa, I didn't know that. That's cool. So, like, it, it, it feels like Marvel because it's made by Marvel. Interesting. Now I'm more intrigued to play Battle for the Grid because I, I kind of just, like, shirked it for a bit because I wasn't sure. I, I'm a huge Power Ranger guy, but, like, I just wasn't like, mm, I don't know anything about this game, and I just didn't feel like researching it. But that actually is very intriguing. Mm-hmm. And and the thing that uh, also makes intriguing is that the, the game is a perfect extension of the comic books. Oh, awesome. So if you know the, the lore with Lord Dragon and all of that, which... Yeah. I tell Ethan all the time, it's like, I would go broke with all the art uh, if I was For real. just like, they just keep knocking it out of the part. And like Hasbro with that, with that acquisition and just all the products that come with that, they just recently unveiled a pink ranger themed morpher. That's so cool. That integrates with the original five coins. Like there are actual multiple sound clips depending on which coin you put into the morpher. That's awesome. Pretty, pretty snazzy looking like. That's very cool. Hasbro has done so like it's 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 been really a joint effort since Saban sort of relinquished control of that. Mm-hmm. And the, the franchise is just revitalized to a point that I that that I have never seen. And I love seeing it as as an original fan. It makes me really, really happy to see kind of the resurgence because it was there for a while. Like in the Disney era, I was really worried that like. Power Rangers was going to go the way of the dinosaurs. Yeah, I was too. And especially with like, um, just, you know, again, I like my, my pivotal time was Morphin into Zeo. And I stopped a little bit into Turbo because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was, uh, ju- I just grew out of it. But the thing that, the thing that I've come to realize is that like, there's no wrong point for getting into Power Rangers because all of them have something different to offer. The fact that like the current Beast Morphers line is being critically acclaimed to the caliber of Power Rangers Samurai, which was mm-hmm. arguably one of the best ones of this current generation to a lot of the fan base. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's they're they're doing a lot of things right and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, integration um still continuing to make it its own uh, Americana brand, but it doesn't it it doesn't take away from uh, the history and the lineage that came before it. Exactly. That's a really good way to put it. So you you mentioned you dabble into Smash. Yeah. First of all, who's your main? <laughs> um, Luigi, because Waluigi's not in the game yet. <laughs> <laughs> so you're one of those. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Waluigi's my guy. Okay. Okay. I, I always... Just, just because Waluigi came out so long after I cared about following the, the, the franchise of Mario... Um, it always just sort of seemed like an internet gag to me. Like everybody was in on the joke. It's like, it's like how people are into Orange Cassidy. <laughs> like I thought that Waluigi was like the Orange Cassidy of Nintendo. I think that is a great way to describe it. <laughs> I, I think that that should stick. Um, 
I I liked Waluigi when I was a kid. Um, when I was playing, like, I think he, he was in Mario Party 3, I think. He was the guy that I played. And then he was always my main in Mario Kart. Okay. Um, because he... What was it that drew you to, Waluigi? Uh, he's tall and lanky, and purple is my favorite color. That makes sense. And... Um, he was also, I've always been super drawn to the more effeminate characters. Okay, sure, um, sure. So, and in, in a lot of like his victory stuff, he'll always have like a rose and like do the pose. Okay, yep, stuff. okay. Mm-hmm. And so like that's, that's what drew, drew me to him originally. And then like, obviously the meme happened and now it's just, now he's, it's funny and cool and he's just great. He's really great. He's he's everyone loves a, an underdog, and he's the underdog of the Mario franchise. Okay, okay, I I can I can see that. Uh, uh, you have convinced me in 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 your argument. Um, <laughs> I I it's like it's like I I understand because again, it's like there are definitely those characters that it's like you just want to see succeed because you see the potential uh, that they have. I mean, there's. Uh, you you don't have to go too far in pro wrestling to find any of those stories. Oh, for real, yeah. So I I can I can I can see that. Um. You uh so is Smash the only like fighting or even platform fighter that you uh dabble in, or were there were there others that have caught your interest? Um, I played PlayStation All Stars Battle Royal when it came out. Okay. Because I was okay, like, yeah. I was looking for that. Like, I was excited at, for like a PlayStation Smash. Yeah. Um, I honestly don't remember who I mained on that game. Um, it was probably Kratos. I think. I think. Okay. I think it was Kratos. I was a uh, Parappa main. Oh, I could see that. Parappa's pretty yep. cool. Yep. Because I remember uh when I played the beta into that. I actually was booted out of a room because I used the evade too much. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'm going to just stick with that. Fair, yeah. I've never... I do, I do love Hihachi's level three, though. Oh, I would say out of, all the, out of all the supers, Hihachi's level three never fails to, to put a smile on my face. Honestly, I'm really bummed that they didn't choose Hihachi to be in Smash. And I understand why, because they explained it. Um, but like if they did, Hihachi could have been a link between Smash and PlayStation All-Stars mm-hmm. and Tekken, obviously, and Soul Calibur. Like he could have linked almost all the major fighting games together. He would have been the um um the uh, the Geralt. Yes, yeah. He's like he's like a ne- he could have been like a nexus being for fighting games. Oh, it would have been great. So, uh funny you mentioned that because uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh my friend Solon mentioned that uh, there is a Twitter account called Ryu Number, <laughs> in which uh, it is the Kevin Bacon equation. How far? How, oh, fantastic! How many degrees away are you from Ryu? Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm very intrigued. Do you have any examples? Yes. Um. One of them I remember was uh, I think it was the one of the Conga Cat has a Ryu number of. Two. Uh, there was there was definitely ob- obviously Hihachi is one, right? Uh, because of that. Um, let me see if I can find the page. Is it Ryu underscore number? Six degrees of Ryu at Ryu <laughs> number. Yep. Uh, let's see here. So. 
Uh, somebody's uh, playing loose with the rules, but Kevin Bacon has a Ryu number of six. Oh, interesting. So uh, Kevin Bacon is tied to Florence Henderson uh, from You Don't Know Jack, Volume 2. Right. Florence Henderson is tied to Gary Owens, tied into TV Land Presents Blast from the Past. Gary Owens is tied to Roger Wilco from Space Quest 4 and 6. Roger Wilco is tied to Baby Yoda of uh, Ho- through Hoyle's Official Book of Games, Volume 3. Awesome. Baby Yoda is tied to Simon Belmont through Castlevania Lords of Shadow. What? And Simon Belmont tied to Ryu through Smash Brothers Ultimate. Amazing. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. It's a great read. That's so great. I'm going to have to check that out. Flick has a Ryu number of four. Flick from A Bug's Life? A Bug's Life. <laughs> uh, tied in through uh, James Sullivan through Lego the Incredibles. Uh, Sullivan tied to Sora through Kingdom Hearts 3. Sora tied to Cloud through Kingdom Hearts 1. Cloud tied there to Ryu. Mm-hmm. Yep. Amazing. It's, it's a pretty great read. I'm definitely going to follow that. Can you send it to me on Twitter? Absolutely. Thank you. Of course! Ah, so, let me, uh, let's see, first of all, I, I, I appreciate just the, just the, ex, the, 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 the ter- twists and turns and all of the directions that we have gone through this, uh, uh, very, uh, riveting, uh, conversation with, uh, just, just kind of diving into the mind of not only your character, but the aspects of your character and the man behind the character. So it's been a really, really fun dive, uh, to uh, to get into that um you know just 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 off the cuff i'm uh i'm uh, i was kind of thinking about this at the at the start of the show um why don't we real quick before we start to work towards you know the sunset of uh wrapping this up why don't we do a little bit of word association real quick okay. i think uh i'm just going to give a, a give a name of uh of somebody that we know within the community and just your immediate response, immediate f- feeling for them. Okay. I will, uh, right. and I will, I will be gentle. You don't have, uh, it's no pressure. If you can pass, if you want to, that's okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and start with, um, Rebel Kel. Badass. Cubby. Cuddly. Officer Cooper. Cop. What a cop out there. For real. <laughs> For real. Young Strife. I love that guy. It's not a uh, word association. I just love that guy. He's, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah. Dave Turner. <laughs> Bald. It it is a word to associate with Mr. Dave Turner. Th- I only say that because of um, the last show that he. I think it was. It may have been a couple weekends ago. Um, he. I remember seeing a clip of him bonking his head on his entrance. Uh, and I just. Th- I just can't think about him right now without thinking of that clip. 
<laughs> and I know that everyone has been teasing him for it, so I feel bad. But I'm, I'm. He's a good sport, so he, I'm sure he gets it. <laughs> Chris Ross. Crossbody because he does a wicked uh, Bray Wyatt crossbody. Nice, like nice, wicked. Four minutes of heat. Geniuses. Genius is a good word for it. Chase James. Super kick. He throws those wicked super kicks. Travis Williams. Golden. He is the golden boy. Yeah. You're not wrong there. Danica Delarouche. Pink. You just can't. I cannot think of. Like, <laughs> you know how when you think of somebody and like you just think of a color like she is pink. She is pink. She is the embodiment that, of pink. She is the embodiment of pink. That is a very astute observation. Cody Chung. The best. Like, the best. I agree. I agree. Jack the Ripper. Bestie. Because he's, be- he's one of my besties. He's, he's a good guy. He's a real yeah. good guy. Desi Dorada. Uh, I honestly don't really know her. Okay, that's fair. So I feel like I can't. Either, I don't have any word associated. That's no. That's fair. That's fair. We'll even, we'll switch I'm, it. Or... I'm not even sure we've even met. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I could be wrong. That's, a, that's okay. We'll we'll switch it up. Jeff Cobb. Okay. <laughs> I know I said the best about Cody, but literally the nicest human being in the world. He's yes. He he's, is really. He's so kind. So so kind is so no, so. <laughs> so he's your AJ Styles. Absolutely. You, do you, you heard about that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with the with the with the shampoo. It's like yes, it's Samoa Joe's favorite person to choke out in the Coquina Clutch. <laughs> My wife buys great conditioner. <laughs> That's amazing. Matt Farmer. I want to say genius, but I feel like I already said genius for four minutes of heat. But like, genius, because yeah, look at the look at what he's done. Mm-hmm. I hundred percent agree. Jim Perry, also genius, also genius, and super nice guy, <laughs> and super nice. Yes, a hundred percent. Max, um, creative, like, yeah. Agreed. Like so creative, and 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 like mm-hmm. works so hard to get things done. Like he 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 has the mind for it, and then he has he like has the work ethic. That's so cool. Yes, I agree. I agree. Chris Bay. So athletic. Yes. Yes. Jet to fly. Oh. I, I knew this was going to happen. I knew I was going to say athletic, and then Jet was going to come up. <laughs> because he is a freak athlete. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did drop kicks. 
like drop the kicks, highest drop kicks. Drop kicks. Uh, ceilings need to look out for him. For real. Yes, uh, a thousand percent. A thousand percent. American guns, collectively or singles. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do them uh, singly because I think it's. I have vastly different opinions. Uh, okay. Or de- vastly different words. Sure. Um, for Mike Santiago, terrifying. <laughs> yes. Very nice guy, but terrifying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then Ethan, cool. Just the coolest dude. He's he's pretty cool. He's so cool. He's pretty, he's pretty cool. Derek Drexel. Also terrifying. Also terrifying, yes. Very terrifying. Yes. Very terrifying. Last one. Nick Radford. Imposter. <laughs> Wicked imposter. <laughs> yes, um... I I totally understand. I totally understand. I really, really do. It's like, I have to sometimes remind myself that the person that I was five years ago would be having a fit and be like, what are, you're hanging out with wrestlers? That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always have to remind myself of like, like, even five years ago, you would never imagine that you had been on WWE television um, or, or interacted or been friends with the people that you are friends with mm-hmm. like that you are in a place in your life that that like 15 year old nick radford would have sure. swooned for and i'm sorry i i i know that i said last one but i would be totally remiss if i didn't say this because he's a good friend of mine too Caden cassidy oh sweetheart absolutely yes. sweetheart absolutely 100 percent he gave me a copy of um, Catherine for the PS3. because he's, oh, like, he's like, I'm done with it. Do you want it? And I was like, oh, you, do you want it back? And he's like, no, you can have it. Take it. That's it's cool. So nice. That's super cool. Yeah. That's super cool. I feel like I could go with this uh, word association all day because it's just fun to kind of uh, pick and uh, pick at your brain uh, about that. But uh, as, uh, as uh, regular listeners may know, and as you may know as well, we try here at the renegade roundup for first time guests we go through the uh inside the actor studio formula of questions to close out the show okay uh and uh most uh, i'm going to probably uh like reword or repurpose a couple of these just because of the the nature of them um but we'll see where where this goes but this will be the the template uh that i'll be uh that i'll be working with is uh, behind the actor studio so, Nick, what is your favorite word? Not necessarily curse word, just favorite word. Plethora. Plethora is a good word. Yeah, right. You know, you know how like if you read a word or hear a word, and you're and it's like your your ear perks up, and you're like, "Whoa, that's a good word." Yes. Um, I just I feel like the first time I heard peth- plethora. I see now I'm screwing it up. Plethora. I feel like I, I had that reaction, and it just feels so good to say yes. plethora. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's so it's so visceral in a good way. Like it's it's yeah. a it's a word that lingers and kind of has that impact. Where like the vastness of the definition of word is in the word itself. Exactly, that's a good way to put it. Nick, what is your least favorite word? Gooch. Mm-hmm. 
um, also known as the taint. It's mm-hmm. just a terrible word to describe it's... a terrible thing. <laughs> yeah. Body positivity, yes. but like, I just don't, not a fan. Yeah, there's, yeah, there are, there are definitely some of those that it's just like, ugh. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it just like, the vibration that it leaves, it, it sort of, it's, it's a remnant of a word that doesn't sit well with you afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Like it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's like Yeah, there's 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 some of those words like, you know, as as a juvenile or as a as a younger individual, you know, you let that fly. But nowadays you're just like I I couldn't even muster up the courage to say that word. Exactly. I feel bad for saying it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how those words should feel is Exactly. It's that way you don't do it again. Uh, Nick, what turns you on? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, or to spin it, in, or to spin it another way, what makes you feel good? Yeah, yeah. I was probably gonna go with something to that effect anyway, because you can be okay. You can be turned on by many different things in many different ways and i think that's yes. an important thing to keep in mind maybe the thing that i that that turns me on the most is feeling like i'm helping people um eh, i know that feels like that feels like real uh cliche and like good guy nick radford but i honestly like knowing knowing that i have something to contribute feels amazing mm-hmm. and that goes back to the imposter syndrome i think um yep. the thing that really gets me going is knowing that i when i when i can recognize i have knowledge for this or i can help with this that's yes that's what gets me going yes it's the it's the it's the revelation it's that light bulb that like i can be useful for something yes exactly like that when i know that i have worth that moment is amazing mm-hmm. it is absolutely it's that it's that it's that affirmation. It's like one of the one of the most important lessons I learned uh, during my first go at a uh, at a call center for a major cell phone carrier was uh, don't explain things in a way that you understand it. Explain things in a way that leads them that they lead themselves to that aha moment on their own. Ooh, that good. aha moment, that revelation, is such an empowering thing. Where like you're able to connect the dots and be like. Oh, I get that now. Yeah, that's perfect. That's a really good way to think about it. On the opposite end of the coin, what turns you off? Feeling like I have nothing to contribute to the world or at large, or just like even the thing, really feeling like that in wrestling. Mm, that's a mm-hmm. big turn off. Mm-hmm. Feeling like I don't like have a place or I can't, I don't have anything to contribute in wrestling, which I know is not true. Um, but feeling that way, yes, is a big turn off. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Uh, uh, brains are not the most kind. Uh, the reason that I try to stay as active as I do is I'm um, for for my individual perspective. An idle mind is a dangerous mind, so I need Definitely. to make sure to keep my mind active um, physically or otherwise. To I feel the same way. To kind of fight off that. Uh, Nick, what is a sound or noise that you love? Um, there is a sound that, or there's like a little sound bit that plays when I finish my runs or like when you finish a mile. Um, 
on my running app. I use like a Nike running app mm-hmm. and the, the noise the, that it makes when I like finish my run and I'm like, I'm done. And I stop the app from recording my run and it, and it plays like a little jingle. It's the best sound in the world. That's so cool. <laughs> that is, that is a audible aff- uh, confirmation of, of what you have done. That's, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, it's a, it's 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 telling me that I did the hard thing and now I can relax. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Um, uh, there is a pattern on the opposite side of this coin. What sound or noise do you hate? The sound my alarm makes to wake up in the morning. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I I know I'm making this way 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 longer, but um, I could sleep forever if if i was just allowed to I sure just, i would just sleep forever and so having to wake up in the morning sucks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's you know it was like when very early when i was a kid it's like regular alarms or alarm clocks it's that jarring of the system does yeah. not bode well with me that's why like thank god for the revelation of you know modern smartphone technology because i can yeah. i can take any music file that has a gradual effect and give it a gradual volume effect see i did that um early like later on in high school and then early college i would have like a song that i would play and i just ended up hating that song because I was like, I associated it with having to wake up. Sure, sure. Um, see, see, now, for me, I make sure to make it as generic as, and as non-specific. So, uh, and that's the same thing with ringtones and text notifications, what have you. Because like, if if something goes too long, like I ended up hating the uh, the Pokemon catch sound because it was tied to my text message notification, and I would have that one friend that would do five or six messages at a time oh, so it'd be like so obnoxious it sounded like final fantasy at some point yeah. um but uh yeah i have uh there is a artist that um that did music for the early parts of um there is a uh youtuber named D- digi valentine that does mm. a does a uh, character breakdown series called will happen and and uh there is a particular uh, version of the cherry blossom thing theme from Shenmue mm. that I use as my alarm clock because nice. it's it's sort of like a it's not quite lo-fi but it's pretty close. Lo-fi is probably the best thing to wake up to. I I uh, have recently been using um, there's a an album called Chillcraft which is like lo-fi minecraft music which minecraft was already kind of lo-fi kind of yeah so it's just like amped up lo-fi a little bit and it's it's great it's so good yeah it's uh yeah my my go-to is for just kind of you know getting into that zen state has been effectively synthwave and lo-fi as of lately so yeah yeah um i think i think one of uh one of my favorite uh ones that i discovered uh, through uh instagram of all places is a uh lo-fi rendition of uh, dame dane through yakuza oh, that it's, sounds awesome it's pretty great it's got like pianos to it as well it's pretty great nice all right nick um what profession actually let's let's go ahead and kind of paraphrase real quick um you mentioned uh if, if you care to elaborate elaborate what do you do for your day job mm, specifically um i try to 
keep it vague, but I will say that I, sure. I work in, in the court system. Fair. Very fair. I, uh, I also currently am uh, working for a third-party company that indirectly uh, is involved with uh, class action settlements. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, that's been that's been kind of an eye-opening experience on how that part of it works. So, the uh, reason that I was asking that is, uh, the, the next question is, what profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? Um, I know that, I'm sure that, like, the normal answer to this nowadays, it's funny to think about, uh, like, how that kind of thing has progressed, but, like, I'm sure the normal answer nowadays is, like, social media influencer. Um... <laughs> Which would be great, um, unrealistic, but sure. and hard. Um, yes, it's like there's there's uh, you you have to have uh, a lot of eggs in a lot of different baskets, and it takes years to get to the point where you're even a recognized household name. Yeah, I think that if I were to go back and do it, and sometimes I think about this and have like my regrets because I got a bachelor's and a master's in criminal justice because I'm so fascinated by the system, and now oh I have, wow like, okay. And now I have like a rejuvenated, especially after the last like year and a half, I have like a rejuvenated um, desire to be a part of the and change, like try to be the change within the system. To sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, if we I had a couple of people that left uh, left my work uh, during training for exactly that reason, because oh, wow. what I'm because what I'm able to do is so limiting that they wanted to do more than what the system at my work allows. I totally feel that. Yeah, um, but I. I often think that if I could go back, I would get a bachelor's in um, computer science or something, and I oh. would love to work in games. That'd be cool. Yeah. Side side question real quick. Do you feel the next iteration of Nick Radford would be a legal eagle authority? I actually, um, that is something that I have considered. Uh, I would love to, I would love to go through law school and become a lawyer and use that as a wrestling character. I would <laughs> love to do that. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but that's that's like a, a big pipe dream of mine. Is well, to like, I mean, court stuff is in right now because Suge is doing that thing with the uh, the 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 trial of uh, uh, Faye Jackson. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's that's that is something I would love to do. Um, who knows if it'll happen though? You know, a, a man can dream. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, on the opposite end of that coin, what profession would you not like to attempt? Hmm. Um, anything, anything that involves manual labor, because I did that. Uh, my dad did that. Uh, mm-hmm. my, my and I did that for like. I think this current job is my first non-manual labor job, mm-hmm. and I don't think I can go back. Uh, it just. It's sure. just not for me, and I know that. I'll, and like, like I have mad respect for all the people who do do it on a regular basis. I cannot. Yep. I just don't understand how they can physically do it. It's it's so physically impressive to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my uh, my best friend of twenty years has been through various uh, warehouse work, and you know he he makes good money through it. But uh, you know the couple of times that I tried, I'm just like I felt exhausted. I just wanted to sleep when I was done. Um, yeah, it was not it was not for me. 
like, yeah, that's how I, I felt when I was doing it is I would just come home and sleep. And even now working in an office, like with the stress of COVID and whatnot and, and anxiety and all, I still often just come home and want to sleep. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine having all of that and doing physical labor. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Before we get into the final question, let's, uh, let's go ahead and, uh, we, we talk about, uh, uh, dream scenarios and especially, uh, since you have a, a, a bit more uh, inside knowledge within the uh, pro wrestling circle, I want you to, off the cuff, real quick, make a dream card of three matches. Oh, that's fun. Three matches. Okay. I would want the Academy, myself and Tom Allman, the educated enforcer, against the Cunninghams. Oh, uh, okay. Which is Jack the Ripper and Carl Randers. The return, like, like, but they would have to be the Cunninghams. Right. Um, that would be our tag match. I would want um, Danica Della Rouge and Izzy McQueen, which has happened um, before, but I would want that for, uh, like, a women's title or something. That's, like, our women's match. And then for That's main cool. event... I would want. I'm, I'm limiting myself to local talent because. Sure. No, that's fair. That's fair. Sure. Um, and then I would want Cody Chun, and who would I want him to face? Mm, and Ethan. Ethan HD. Ooh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very very cool. That would be my card. That's 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 a pretty solid card. Um. Yeah, can't uh, can't really uh, knock any of that. Um, just just randomly, while I was uh, while you were uh, mentioning about the women's card, I was uh, just randomly reminded of uh, uh, two of my favorites uh, in this in the local scene right now: uh, Rhea Von Slasher and Sloan. Mm. Rhea's really cool. I got to um, work with her a while back in like my early 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 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go to Vancouver Island and. I had a one match with her, I think. Um, but she's awesome. And she's also done extra talent stuff at WWE. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's very cool. And Sloane's also super cool. I've only yeah, been her, around her a couple times. But I, mm-hmm. I, when you when you did the like Rebel Kell Word Association thing, I would also say badass for Sloane. Because Absolutely. she's so intimidating. <laughs> Well, she she has that like when I when I my very first exposure was uh, at a Defy show where she just showed up and just pulled up a chair mm-hmm. and watched the match. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is some basic instinct stuff that's happening right For now. That real. And uh, yeah, no, it's uh, she was very much that uh, you had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. And yes. uh, I uh, I was very uh, pleased to have uh, I had the honor of uh, during the Defy Jazz Bones show uh, to uh, talk a little bit to both of them. And yeah, both of them are just, you know, just really, just really good people. I, I enjoyed yeah. my uh, conversation with them. Yeah, and awesome. uh, and uh, and during the pandemic, I bought a Shinsuke Nakamura painting from uh, Sloan. Oh, nice! That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So support the cause when you can. Support your talent when you can. Definitely. Final question, Nick. I don't know if you are a religious person. I'm not. But that's but okay. that's okay. You're right. But if heaven exists. What would you like to hear your God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? 
Oh gosh, <laughs> you know the meme where the dog, um, where the the death comes to the dog, and it's like it is your time, and the dog was like, "Was I a good boy?" And the death, the death is like, "I'm. I've heard you were the best." That is what I would want to hear. <laughs> That's wonderful. That is I, a wonderful take on that. I would want to hear that I was a good boy. A good boy. That's that is that's a good. That's a good answer. Well, uh, Nick, where can people, where can the people find you on uh, the social medias and above and beyond? Okay, well, this is where I have a whole spiel, so get ready. Go for uh, it. <laughs> you can follow me at, at at Nick Radford at all of the places. Let me know if you have any thoughts, feelings, concerns, considerations about this, about my podcast, which is called Champion Shipping, available wherever podcasts are found, where I dive deep into my vast library of erotic fanfiction poetry and select one to read to you each and every month. You can find it anywhere podcasts are found. If you have any thoughts, feelings, concerns, considerations about this podcast, my podcast, maybe you even want to watch my Instagram lives where I open Pokemon cards. I do those on on the monthly. Again, at Nick is Radford. Also, Nick is Radford on Twitch. I was streaming new Pokemon Snap for a while. I'm trying to find a new schedule to keep doing that because my photo decks is not complete. So be sure to subscribe there so that you know when I go live. And I think that is all of my things. Oh, I also have merch. I have a website that you can find my blog. Um, I write a monthly blog. I also write a semi-monthly, bi-monthly, whenever it comes out blog, where myself, Carl Randers, and Jack Stevens all select a comic book to read and discuss. And um, you can also find links to all of my stuff, videos, YouTube, Twitch, all that good stuff is there. My merch is there. It's, it is nickisradford.com. And I think that's all my stuff. Ooh, that feels good. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the Renegade Roundup. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, to uh, impart your wisdom and your experiences and just share in the, the love of pro wrestling. And I, I look forward to uh, the opportunity to have you on again if you so wish to uh, bestow your presence upon us here. I would love to come back anytime. Thank you so much for having me. This is absolutely really fun. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Nick Radford for joining us on the Renegade Roundup, one of Buddy Wayne Academy's finest. Also keep a lookout for things to come, something that if it were a gibberish question may sound like Party may stay Leon, details to come soon and else do what Tinami Tom told you, and stay golden, say golden. Are you okay, Cookie? You're beginning to sound like Max Headroom with all those technical difficulties. Cookie is just really excited for the next episode, trust me, you won't want to miss it. to yourself. You are your own priority. You matter.